So welcome everybody to the Integrated Life Podcast. Today, I'm gonna be answering a question from Brianna. And Brianna, if I could pull up your question right here. Brianna says, I just listened and watched your marriage course and loved it, even outside the context of dating or marriage. I'm a young single person. This class deals a ton with relationship, naturally. Could you please go deeper in discussing the impact of familial trauma and not being treated right as a kid and how that can impact people physically and how to navigate really difficult relationships that are toxic or when not to. Peaceful, better relationships are the ideal, but when your parent is a psychopath, for example, that might change the game. In my experience, my biggest barriers to discipline are relational problems, like actual physical reactions to this. Could you please talk more about that physical impact and navigating it? So this is a great question, Brianna, and I'm happy to answer this for you because I get this from so many people. We love to talk about toxic relationships. And for some people, we need to know when to say no, when to leave a relationship. We could be talking about dating. We could talk about family relationships with siblings or parents or children. Um, I've, I've had plenty of situations where parents need to say no to toxic children in their relationships. Um, children are never toxic, but the relationships can be really destructive. This is really hard to navigate. So on one hand, we need to go into you know boundaries and setting up self-care and making sure that we're not being pulled into other people's uh, craziness and I was just talking with somebody last week about this they were like how are you just ignoring what's going on in this situation and I was like there's a phrase I learned in graduate school not my circus and not my monkeys and I, I that phrase goes in my mind a lot of times how do we set those boundaries and stay out of other people's problems and then at the same time how do we stay Christian how do we keep our faith our charity how do we navigate like what is the appropriate level of involvement if we really want to be charitable and and you know suffer with people and suffer with them in their difficulties and even though even if it is difficult for us so that's that's where i'm at right now trying to help people navigate between those two extremes on one hand some people need to hear more about boundaries and on the other hand some people need to hear more about Christianity and being Christian to each other and not being so self-absorbed that you don't want to touch anybody's difficulties, right? So the image that I use to answer this question is the image of Simon of Cyrene. This is a, a, a one, one image we use in our, in our therapy as, as therapists with Catholic Psych Institute. I, I tell our therapists that we are fulfilling the vocation of being Simon of Cyrene. And what does that mean? It means that we see Christ suffering in our patience. And as Christ is suffering along the way of the cross, we join in his suffering by helping to carry a little bit of the weight, shoulder a little bit of the cross, and walk with Jesus for a while in the suffering of our patience. Now, there's a couple of important pieces there. We are not taking away the suffering of Jesus 
and carrying the cross like Simon did. Simon did not carry the whole cross. Simon was still carrying, or sorry, Jesus was still carrying the cross. But Simon was helping. Second, Simon stopped carrying the cross at some point and left Jesus to go all the way with what Jesus was responsible for in that moment of leading up to crucifixion. So Jesus had to climb his own cross. Jesus had to suffer on his own cross. Jesus had to die on his own cross so that Jesus could be resurrected and conquer his own cross. This is the model that we can use to understand the proper balance between helping people, being with people in their suffering, and letting people deal with their lives and their suffering. And we could be pulled in one direction or the other. Simon's initial response, he just didn't want any part, anything to do with it. And, and a lot of us can have that response sometimes. On the other hand, some of us might think that we're supposed to take the whole cross and we're supposed to shoulder it and we're supposed to push Jesus out of the way and climb up on his cross in his place. We do that with each other. We're not supposed to do that either. We each have our own crosses. You know, if we, if we followed the story and we went into the sequel, if we went into the, you know, the backstory, the character story of Simon, you know, like they do for like the X-Men, when you do all the individual spin-offs with all these different stories, if we did the, the story of Simon of Cyrene, we would probably find that Simon had his own cross to suffer. He had to climb his own cross. If, if Simon tried to push Jesus out of the way and climb up on Jesus's cross, Simon never would have climbed his own cross. And that's what we end up doing a lot of times. So we want to figure this out. How do we figure out if the relationship is pulling us in to try to take over somebody else's cross or, which that's a way of thinking about a toxic relationship, right? We have somebody else suffering for whatever reason. I mean, anybody creating a toxic relationship is probably suffering for some reason with some level of mental disorder. Not diagnosable all the time, but just not really getting it, how to have virtuous and healthy communication and relationships. And then when we keep em em embedding ourselves and engaging in those relationships, then we end up uh, deciding to suffer because of the other person's suffering. So that's one way to look at like a quote-unquote toxic relationship. So if, if, if we are not careful, we end up sort of trying to take the place of the other person on their own cross. Maybe that person should actually experience what it's like that people don't want to be around them if they continue to act a certain way. I mean, that kind of feedback is sometimes life-changing for somebody. So it's not just about self-care. That's, that's one of the first principles I want to put out here. If we're actually being Christian and removing ourselves from a toxic relationship, then there's a way to look at that, that it's not just self-preservation, it's not just self-care. It's actually an act of charity and love for the good of the other person. So we can actually do more to help the other person by removing ourselves from those toxic relationships. On the other hand, by being a part of a person's life, sharing with charity and love, that also might be the right answer 
to help that person come around and really learn how to change their own behavior. They might need to receive love in a new way from you. Maybe you're the only person that's willing to actually give it. Um, and so it's a tough call. How do you know? How do you figure this out? Now, no surprise here. I'm going to say that the first step is you really have to get a handle on discernment because I'm not going to give you all the answers. I can't give you all the answers. And to say like, oh, when you have X, Y, and Z, then therefore, uh, you know, this is the, the right answer all the time, right? Anybody in this gig who's trying to say something like that, you got to realize it's probably not totally accurate. There's discernment that's required in every situation. You got to learn how to listen to the voice of God and find out exactly what God is calling you to. But I do want to give you some principles to think about. Number one, it's always the Christian answer, whether it means to help the person more or to let go of the cross and walk away. It's, there's, there's always going to be a Christian interpretation of why you're doing that. It's not selfishness. It's not all self-obsession. Even when we talk about self-care, we can still frame that in terms of living a Christian life following Jesus. Jesus says very caref- very clearly, follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's only by suffering that we're going to get to heaven. That, let's put it out there. That's all there is to it. Self-care can't be about avoiding suffering. It's got to be about being the best version of yourself and following Jesus. And so the point is, you know, whether it's self-care, taking care of ourselves to like take a rest, go on vacation, uh, have a nice glass of wine at the end of the day, whatever it is, go for a massage, go for a run and exercise, all the self-care stuff. Or if we're talking about protecting ourselves and removing ourselves from a toxic relationship, it can still be framed in a Christian way. So that's one thing that I want to make sure is grounded as a, as a principle. The second principle then, is how can you be the best version of yourself? What you need to think about is your own self-control, okay? And this is where it gets a little messy because we're very, very quick to say that a toxic relationship is due to a toxic person. And that's not the case. Anybody can develop the skills and the self-control, and I'm, I'm going to couch this. I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but I would say like 99% of quote-unquote toxic relationships are not because of an absolute definitive need to move away from some person. However, maybe 50% of people who feel like they're in a toxic relationship uh, actually should move away from the relationship. And that could be for a time. That could be just for you know some amount of time. It doesn't mean definitively. And here's why. It's because we have to maintain self-control. And not everybody can handle every relationship. And it might be the case that somebody is really destructive in the way that they relate with others. And you get pulled into it. It makes you a terrible version of yourself, not the best version of yourself. And despite your best efforts, despite how many holy hours you pray, despite how many rosaries, despite how many times you go to confession, despite how many days you go to mass, despite employing the intercession of the entire communion of saints, 
you just can't control yourself. And you find yourself slipping into very destructive patterns of behavior. And, you know, we could say the same thing for like dating, you know, maybe, you know, if, if you're falling into sin or, you know, in, in, you know, all sorts of relationships, there might be ways that you need to pull yourself out. Here we're talking about toxic relationships. So the other person is creating these very destructive patterns of, of communication and behavior and you are pulled into it. So the other person triggers something in you. You know, I, I talked, I talked, I'll, I'll be a little vulnerable here. I talked uh, a, a few months ago about a meeting that I had with a bishop and I, I, I seriously disagreed with this bishop. And, and what I realized was it was bringing up the things he was talking about, the way he was talking, brought up some deeper stuff for me, going back to childhood. And I felt myself being triggered you know, it wasn't about the bishop. I mean, the stuff he was saying were, was, was just really unhealthy and, and really kind of uh, destructive for the church. But besides that, I was not able to handle myself in a totally objective way. So I had to actually just stop and, and, and let the, the meeting go on and then walk away from it. Because I noticed in myself, something was getting triggered that was making me not the best version of myself in relationship with this other person. And it was because of stuff from my past. Now, I should be working on that stuff. I do work on that stuff. And so, you know, it's something that I could come back to maybe five years, maybe 10 years from now, I'll grow a little more. I'll become a little wiser, a little bit more integrated. You know, I'll do all this stuff and work on myself. And I could get back into a situation with somebody where there's such an extreme power dynamic that even a bishop can't trigger those kinds of emotional reactions for me. And then I can revisit those kinds of things. Now for you, you know, you find ways that you might be triggered in relationships. Now it could cause anger. It could cause dependency. So, you know, somebody might play on your heartstrings. You know, they, they say that, um, you know, or, you know, cause they, they can just tap into something in you that you just can't say no. And you end up doing something that you really don't want to do goes against your preset, you know, boundaries or standards or whatever. And what for whatever reason, maybe that's really unhealthy. And then you find yourself in this cycle where you come back and you know, you're you're uh, resentful because it happened again, you did it again, they did it again. And okay, so this situation in this moment, you might describe as toxic. Again, it doesn't mean that the other person is toxic. It just means that there's something going on in the in interaction, in the dynamic between you and the other person that is making you uh, out of control, not being the best version of yourself. And at every level, at any level that that's happening, you need to take a tiny step back or a, a major step back. The, the, the step back that you take has got to be equal to the level of disorientation and distress that the relationship is causing within you. Okay, so that's just a, a little bit of a paradigm to think about. If this person makes you a little upset, you need to take a little step back. If this person is making you like completely monstrous, where you're like a whole different person, that anybody else that sees you acting a certain way would be like, I can't believe that, like this is not you, what's going on, what's wrong? And you know, take a big step back. 
And again, you're not really looking at the other person. You're looking at you. Because at the end of the day, there's very few circumstances in which somebody is actually capable of overpowering your boundaries. Okay, let me say that again. There are very few circumstances in which the other person is actually capable of overpowering your boundaries. And just about, in most of these circumstances, there's some element of us letting people overcome our boundaries. Okay, now again, I, I said before 99%, 98%. Are there, are there completely abusive, traumatic experiences where you know things happen that are totally outside of our control? Absolutely. Number one, I wouldn't call those relationships usually where that specific thing happens. Number two, if, if there was a relationship before something like that happens, then obviously you need to get out of it and it's, it like doesn't get a second chance. <laughs> you know, you don't give that a second chance. If you give that a second chance to be abused or traumatized, then we have to look at what other psychological elements are at play within you that we're going back into these situations. And again, that's not to victim blame or anything like that. We have very real psychological elements that might bring us into those situations. And that's what a lot of times I have to work with people on um, because they find themselves, for instance, you know, let's let's take off the table like that 1%, 2% of like that really severe trauma. But let's just say, you know, dating a boyfriend or a girlfriend of a certain personality type that always acts a certain way. And then you break up with the person because of that. And then you end up dating somebody else because of the same, with the same per profile, the same personality. And then you break up again because of the same situation. Then a third time, a new relationship, and you find these things are repeating. Now, is that your fault? Certainly not. That's not to cause blame, but it is to shine a light and say, you know, there's probably something going on psychologically here that you can pay attention to a little bit more to unpack a little bit more and find out what exactly is the wound that you're trying to heal? What's missing that you're trying to fill? What's unresolved that you're trying to resolve? Those kinds of things. And then you realize that these you know, toxic relationships are not necessarily because of toxic people. People are very rarely actually toxic. It's always, almost always the dynamic of the relationship. So should we leave those for a time? Yes. If it's, a, if it's a boyfriend or girlfriend you're dating, then you probably just break up and there's no reason to go back to it. If it's a spouse, well, then you need to take appropriate steps that are in line with the vows that have been made. And you you know, it, it, it all has to be measured and reasonable according to the parameters of the relationship. If it's a boss, you know, you try to set your boundaries and if they walk all over those boundaries, you walk out. You know, if, if, and you walk out day after day if you need to. If they fire you, they fire you. If, you know, if you, if you feel like you can't walk out of the meeting, then maybe you do need to quit. But instead of saying you need to quit, you maybe first look at, do I just walk out of the meeting? Do I set my boundary again? Do I repeat this again? The more inner strength and detachment that you build up over this time, you know, you might have a different answer for how to handle this kind of situation. So let's go back to, you know, when we go to parents, the question was about parents 
if we if we look at that question about you know uh, this uh, Brianna was saying a psychopathic parent and I'm not sure if she's using that term colloquially or if there's actually a diagnosis typically involving a personality disorder then what we're looking at is um, how how hard how difficult that is to regain or maintain or maybe find in the first place a sense of self-control in the face of a parent and why is that because parents have a unique position of educating a person and their very identity from the beginning so this is totally different from every other kind of relationship we're not talking about romantic relationships we're not talking about sibling relationships we're not talking about work relationships or any other a parent is in the position of educating a child on who that child is it's the parent's job to be a, a caregiver not a caretaker there's no taking there's only giving that's the relational disposition that's appropriate for a parent and and to some extent that's always going to be the case for for all of life certainly that changes over time it, it's 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 form and in its modality how that actually happens but on some level that's always going to be true that's what a parent owes to a child and when this kind of you know self-obsessed quote-unquote psychopathic behavior is creating the quote-unquote toxicity in the relationship it may be incredibly difficult to actually stay in that disposition you're not talking about any other peer relationship there is much more responsibility for the individual in a peer relationship than there is in a uh, parent-child relationship so you know when you come into that parent-child relationship if you're the child then you know because of what's owed based on your anthropology who, who you're created to be by God who, which is one who is taken care of by a creator and that is mirrored through the relationship with parent there's going to be a much much more difficult time to create that separation and be able to fortify oneself against the inversion of parenting from a parent because a psychopathic parent or even just a slightly self-obsessed or selfish or self-serving parent is actually doing the opposite it's an inversion of what they're created to do as a parent and so you end up as the child needing to think about how to take care of the emotions of the parent again this is the this is the uh, inversion of what's supposed to be in order to get to the place where that's actually even possible to even think in those terms you have to do an incredible amount of uh, growth and self-work in terms of moving past childhood adolescence young adulthood into the reality of yourself as a young man or woman in relationship with God and this is part of spiritual development and what I find is that there's a lot of people suffering from a lack of real human psycho spiritual development the best image I have for this is st. Francis 
I love St. Francis. I was a Franciscan for four years. I always can find a way to relate everything back to St. Francis. Um, and and Fra- Francis, his father was only concerned about wealth and, you know, making sure he wanted his son to be, you know, really famous and sort of, you know, well taken care of. He, he wanted to be a knight. Francis wanted to be a knight. And, you know, he wanted to have like reputation. And his father was this really wealthy merchant. And Francis grew up in that environment with a lot of wealth and opulence and good food and all this stuff. And then Francis had this radical conversion. And he, he wanted to give away to the poor. He saw that to follow Christ, he wanted to be poor and be less than those who are around him, just like God made himself less so that he could help us become more. And this was the paradigm for Francis. So he started giving away all the stuff from his dad's house. And he even gave away, you know, the... the, the and the expensive cloth and, and all the clothing and all this stuff. And the bishop, or sorry, uh, the father was so upset with Francis that he took him to the bishop, probably know this story, and he said, because the bishop was sort of the arbiter of, of uh, you know, civil, uh, civil issues, and, and he said, what, you know, what are you going to do? You have to judge this situation. And the bishop looked at Francis and he's like, not supposed to take, you know, you're stealing from your father, you're giving away stuff. I get it, but it's not really the right way to live. And Francis goes, you know what? No longer do I call you father. He looked at his dad. He saw the values that his dad lived by. He didn't want to be fathered by those values. And he said, no longer do I call you father. God in heaven is my father. And you can have your clothes back. And he stripped himself naked and he gave all the clothes back to his father so that Francis sitting there stark naked and the bishop had to clothe him with his own uh, cape that he had. And, you know, maybe that's symbolic, I don't know. But basically Francis was leaving behind the, the wealth and the principles and the priorities that he grew up with in his father's house and he was letting himself be wrapped under the mantle of Holy Mother Church and the fatherhood of God who is perfect and built on the principles that get us to heaven and lead to a flourishing, happy human life. So that's actually what's necessary for every single one of us to the extent that our parents' principles don't line up with God's. Okay? So that doesn't mean that we all have to have these radical, you know, strip naked and renounce our parents' moments. That's certainly not the case. Hopefully, God willing, most of our parents are living according to the teachings of the church and actually do value the principles that we believe Jesus taught us to get to heaven. But to the extent that they don't and that we've been raised in that environment, we need to be willing and able to put those old principles aside and trust God in his fatherhood and live for those new principles. This is incredibly important for psycho-spiritual development. And, and when we do that, we are reorienting ourselves to the, to the objective truth, to the greatest truth of, of truth, goodness, and beauty evidenced by Jesus Christ and his witness to us that we can trust the Father, that we can live for something greater, and that we can be happy in this world and in the next world.
So this is the paradigm that we need to have to make this shift. And if and when that can happen, when that happens, we can then return to a relationship with that parent, with the mother or the father that's creating those difficulties, and we see them in a new light. Okay, this is a major point because a lot of times I, you know, I give that first half of the story and then, and then we say like, well, so what? What are we supposed to do? What about the fourth commandment? What about, you know, how are, we're supposed to just reject our parents then? No, 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 no. Remember what I said at the beginning. Toxic relationships are not because of toxic people. They're because of toxic dynamics. And the toxic relationship is because we needed to grow out of that child, well, childish, child dynamic with parents, which is that they are the creator, that their principles dictate and govern our life, and that we are subject to the principles that they are living by. And so we need them as parents because we have nothing else to developing out of that to the place where we realize that God the Father is our actual creator. He's our father. He's the parent. And if we, if we realize we have a place as a child, as a son or daughter of the father who's perfect, it relieves the pressure and, and, and lessens the damage done by the, the misaligned principles of parents who are not raising children in line with, with God's truth. And that, again, that could be, you know, spiritual, psychological, emotional, whatever these difficulties are. It could be all ends of the spectrum. To the extent that parent has wounded a child, to that extent the child needs to disown that aspect of their parent's parenthood. Okay? Now, again, I'm not saying even that they need to reject the person of the parent, but maybe you need a little break for some time. Maybe you need to put the relationship on hold for a time so that you can come away from it and actually reorient yourself to the Father in Heaven. And like Francis, he reoriented himself to his Father in Heaven and received everything he needed from the Father. And then, you know, it's funny because I don't think there's actual evidence from what I remember of Franciscan studies with the friars, I don't think there's actual evidence of whatever whatever ended up happening with Francis and his dad at the end of his life. But I've seen like three or four biographies of Francis that sort of speculate. You know, Francis must have reconciled with his dad. His dad must have come around. He must have realized the goodness and beauty of living a life for God and that, you know, he needed to sort of subject himself to Holy Mother Church the way Francis did. And yeah, we, we want to speculate. We want to hope that that's what happened. And some of those movies and, and biographies have really, really beautiful portrayals of that. From what I remember, um, I don't remember if, there was, if there's actual evidence of that happening. But we'd like to think so. What we can assume probably pretty safely is that Francis would have been free to do so. Because Francis didn't need anything from his dad. He didn't need his dad's priorities and principles. Because he found the principles of everlasting life. And he knew that if he submitted himself to the truth, then that was a, a glorious life. So he could then go back and see the man 
of his dad. And we can see the, the woman of our moms. And we can see their humanity and realize this. This is where I want to bring this all together. Is this, this is the eternal truth. The eternal truth is that the biological parent-child relationship is temporary. We are called to the communion of saints. And in the communion of saints, we are all brothers and sisters. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are united to Christ through our baptism into his humanity. And he brings us as son in that position of sonship to be a child of the father as a son or daughter. And we are united to the father into that eternal divine union. And he divinizes us in that act so that we become one with God through our union in Christ. And at the same time, all of us here on this earthly plane and, and in our humanity are, are united to each other. We're united to each other as brothers and sisters. So the ultimate eternal reality is that all our parents are ultimately our brothers and sisters. Our grandparents are brothers and sisters. Our great, great, great grandparents are actually brothers and sisters. I had a beautiful experience. I was in Sicily where my great grandfather and, and it, we saw the apartment where he grew up and like we got to spend some time with my family out there and, um, and I was walking across this bridge and with my son and my wife was saying like, think about this for a moment, like this footbridge that connects this tiny little island to the mainland of Sicily in, in, uh, in, this, in this place of Syracuse is it's like a few hundred years old, I'm sure, uh, if not more. It's where my great-grandfather would have walked. My great-great-grandfather would have walked. And, and it's like the same footbridge to the fishing, you know, to the bank where the boats go off to, to catch anchovies and all this stuff. And it was like, I felt such a connection to him but not as an old ancestor. I felt such a connection to him as a brother. And I was like, man, this life is so beautiful and we're all carrying on this story of trying to get each other to heaven. And that's all that matters. And really, like even the family structure is a, is a means to heaven. That's the point. It's all about reminding us of and getting us to heaven. So. The difficulties of our parents can be seen as we, we first need to move ourselves away from them. We need to heal ourselves with God's grace by discovering our true identity as sons or daughters of the Father who reorients and re-educates all of us and who we are. He, he gives us our new identities that this is what it's like to be perfected in Christ and Christ is the perfect son of the perfect father. So that perfect filial relationship restores us to our truest capacity in our humanity. That's what we're made for, even if it's been disoriented by parents. And then, and then once we have that, we've, we've got it. We've got everything we need. So then we can go back to siblings who may be parents, siblings in Christ, and we can say, we can intercede for them. We could be present to them 
And then to the extent that you are psychologically and spiritually able, if you can remain detached in that way and have self-control in the moments with parents who are acting the ways that they may be still in very disordered ways acting, then you can still engage in a relationship. It takes a long time to get there. And a lot of people might have to just keep some distance. And that's for our own good. And maybe it's for their good. But it's never the goal to sever relationships with quote-unquote toxic people. I think that's a misformulation of what it is that we mean by that, by, by that term. So that's, that's what we want to be able to think about. And then the opposite I mentioned earlier is true too. Like it's not always the parents that are toxic to the kids. Sometimes the kids are toxic to the parents. And this becomes a little bit more difficult to navigate because like I said before, the parent is still there to be the primary caregiver. Like that's the primary orientation of a parent to a child. And that's always going to be the case. Now here's where it gets a little... Uh, murky let's say gets a little murky because the parent may have certain imperfections in the way that they are actually raising that child and giving in to the child so in order to be a parent we have to create the best opportunity for that child to grow into his or her own adulthood and what I find to be the case is uh, you know either a parent disregards what they owe to their children in leaving them and rejecting them and abandoning them, or a parent disregards what they owe to, your, to their children by overindulging them, and that is that is also a disregard of what a parent owes to a child. A parent owes chi- a child discipline. A parent owes a child structure and order. Because that is what we're created for, and we need to grow in that environment of structure and order. And if we don't get that from our parents, then we're being neglected. So if that's the kind of scenario that we're that we're creating for our kids, and then they end up being, you know, well, let's just say, let's use the word here, toxic, in the sense of selfish, self-absorbed, they don't think about anybody else. They take advantage of everything that you do for them. Uh, they're they're abusive in their language. They're abusive in their actions. They're you know on and on and on. There there certainly is a point where out of love again for the other person, structure needs to be created for that person. And so this is where, uh, you know, this is where we have to use this paradigm. And that's why the Christian, uh, the the Christian model for navigating relationships is so powerful across the board, which again means is living for the other, sacrificing and living for the other. But sometimes that means not engaging in the relationship because that actually might be enabling their vice. It might be enabling their behavior that's actually keeping them from a close union with God. But but that's the way we need to think about it. where it's not it's not black and white. You know, we have to always think about these things in the both and. You know, that's Catholic, it's healthy. We talk about that in psychologically, like being able to hold 
the complexity of contradicting thoughts is actually a very psychologically healthy um, uh, characteristic. And we use, we call it black and white thinking or splitting. It's like it has got to be all one or all the other. That is a psychologically unhealthy characteristic. I'm thinking of like five other podcasts I got to do off of this one, but one is going to be on toxic kids, which obviously kids are not toxic, but you know what I mean. And, and, and the other one is the both and, and how that Catholic principle is actually psychologically healthy. In fact, the Protestant heresies of all the shoot, offshoots of Protestantism and different heresies in the last 2,000 years can all be characterized as theological splitting, where you can't hold the complexity and the mystery of two truths at the same time. And so we, we pick one and we neglect the other. I talk about that with Catholic mindfulness. That's what Buddhism does. It, it's, it's all about the oneness of the world, and it just calls diversity a, a, an illusion, right? So we can hold both and say both are actually true. So we can say that we are serving the other person and loving them by creating boundaries, and we're also maintaining our own trajectory towards holiness because we realize if I let myself be in a relationship with this person, I'm going to fall all over the place. I'm going to lose my temper. I'm going to be really uncharitable. Or I'm going to lose my boundaries and I'm going to enable. And then I'm going to be resentful. And then I'm going to lose my temper later. And all these things that are making me a, a terrible version of myself. And if you're a child, then, you know, you have, you have every right in the world to to realize that that's happening and pull yourself out of that relationship. There's an, a, a, an especially egregious injustice when the parent is creating that toxicity for a child in a relationship. But it's still a paradigm that we can look at across the board. And I would say in most cases, once we do the work on ourselves, it doesn't matter if you're in a parent-child relationship, a marriage, uh, a friendship, a sibling relationship, our goal should be to get to the place where we have mastered self-control to the point that we can actually, you know, get into these situations without losing it ourselves. <clears throat> ourselves. So that's what I got for that right now. We're going on 45 minutes here and I'm losing my voice and I don't have a glass of water. So we're going to wrap it up for today. But thanks so much for joining in and I'll talk to you next time. God bless you all.